Hi everyone and welcome to the Space of Mind podcast with me, Kara Komarni. We all need daily motivation to keep pushing, to keep chasing our dream day in, day out, overcome struggles and somehow enjoy the journey in the process. Space of Mind gives you clarity on how to become a better version of yourself by digging deeper into what it is that breaks us, makes us and keeps us motivated one personal story at a time. Today, we'll be talking about the things that break us down before they can build us back up. Some people call it trauma, but I'd like to call them life-changing events, with someone who's gone through one of the most difficult things in life, surviving cancer, and came out of it not only stronger, but inspired to solve a major challenge that touches millions of people around the world with his app alike. Brad's story is very close to my heart, as earlier this year, I lost someone I loved to cancer, my boyfriend. And just like for Brad, this experience changed me pretty irreversibly. Today's episode is dedicated to rewriting the narrative of those life-changing events and came out of it on the other side. So, so much stronger. Brad, welcome to the Space of Mind podcast. It's great to have you with us. I must say that hearing your story last time we met left me pretty inspired. You had this incredible career in fashion PR Things were looking up for you in so many ways, but then this thing happened that changed everything. Would you mind telling us a little bit about when did life change for you and how did it change you? Well, hello, Carolina. Thank you so much for having me here to have this conversation. I think this topic is so, so important. And I've spoken about my story before, but every time I do, I uncover something new it's a sense of therapy for me because it's been such a huge part of my life, my experience with cancer, not just personally, but also professionally and with so many relationships that I've developed as well. To answer your question directly when it comes to like what changed my life and at what moment did my life change? There are a few. This journey is one with many, many different forks in the road with paths diverting and going off and different paths that I planned. I'd say my life changed. And if I was to say there was one moment where my life completely changed, that was when I was age 19 and I was diagnosed with leukemia. At the time, I was living in a rural village in the heart of North Yorkshire. I'd came out of the closet at 17, embraced by my parents, my family and my friends on a bit of a high because of that. Coming out in a rural area, I'm aware of how privileged it is to have your community embrace you and not reject you. I was on a high. I was expressing myself differently. I was paying attention to myself and my identity for the first time, having ignored it and shunned it and pushed it to the side for so long. I was just living life in the most wonderful way, meeting new friends, creating new connections. And then at 19, I was just experiencing my body changing over the course of time. I didn't recognize some symptoms presenting themselves. So I went into my GP for a checkup and I had a blood test and I ended up getting diagnosed with leukemia and it was quite advanced leukemia at the time. And that's basically it. Just in that instance, who I was, what I was going to do with my life, my physical, my mental health completely changed. And all it took was three words, you have cancer. In that moment that you found out you're sick, what was the first thought that came to you? I think in that moment that he said, you have cancer, I think everything and nothing went through my mind all at once. And I know that sounds really weird, but there are things that I remember that I thought, but the whole thing feels so numb and fuzzy and foggy. 
that I can't really recall it. It seemed it went so quickly and so slow at the same time. It was weird. I don't recall how long that conversation was. My mum says that we were in there for about 40 minutes. I remember being in there for about 15. It was just so strange. But what I do remember is thinking I didn't deny it. I didn't not believe him. I didn't have a stage of denial. I, I can't have cancer. I was confused, of course. Why do I have cancer? But I didn't deny it. But what I do really remember very vividly is oh my, like I I have a exam on Thursday. I got this news Monday morning, so I'm not going to be able to sit that. Oh, I have a shift at the restaurant that I work part-time at this Saturday. I'm not going to be able to do that. And that's what I was doing. I was going through the weeks and months in my life thinking those things that I had planned, I'm not going to be able to do them either. Like university, I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to go on that holiday that I've got planned this summer. And it slowly started to set in that, yes, my life had completely changed And I think it was just the shock. And from then on, all I remember thinking was, well, it's cancer. So I automatically started writing my eulogy, which is such a strange thing to experience, especially as a 19-year-old. Yeah, I was going to say that the level of how unrelatable this is, I can't, you know, even imagine the kind of what happened around you during that time, obviously from the people you surround yourself with, your normal life you were living. I guess, personally, I know that this is quite a lonely journey, but I'd love to know what even kept you going through these times. The first time I experienced leukemia, because I have faced it twice, and I'll get on to the second time (laughs) in a bit. The first time, it was absolutely my family and my friends. Absolutely. That numbness that I experienced at the time when I got the news didn't stop. It just kept going through. Like when I recall that experience, and we're approaching nearly 10 years, it was 2013. It's just thinking back on it, I just coasted through. I was completely numb. I just got on with what I needed to get on with, which was the treatment, which was getting better. And it went so quickly. But I just remember having also a sense of secureness in that I didn't have to worry about anything else. I didn't have to worry about the future, actually, because all I was focusing on was my health. Health is arguably the single most precious commodity we have. And because my health was threatened, I was like, nothing else matters. I need to focus on my mental and physical health. And everybody around me did that too. So I wasn't stressed about university. I wasn't stressed about work. wasn't stressed about money. wasn't stressed about my future career. I was just focusing on my health. And that was really quite liberating to experience. Like, I don't have to worry about anything else apart from my health. I just need to focus on getting better. And that really helped build some positive relationships with my loved ones around me. But I did experience such extreme loneliness and isolation, not just being diagnosed with cancer, but I was a young gay man in a village in the middle of nowhere now facing cancer. And I just felt like I was the only person going through this experience. Of course, I wasn't, but it definitely felt like that. That perspective, you know, when you like everything else, you tune it out because this is your sole focus. Has this somewhat stayed with you? Like, has it made you look at life differently since? Absolutely. It did after I recovered, thanks to medical technology and treatment and the NHS, I actually bounced back from my diagnosis quite quickly. I was only on chemotherapy for about four months, which is quite short compared to other experiences and other diagnoses. I was then put onto a maintenance treatment. It was being diagnosed with such a life-threatening condition and having your mortality threatened at such an early age gave me such a sense of liberation, such a sense of freedom. I felt unshackled <laughs> because I didn't have those stresses anymore. I did. I, I remember feeling like, do you know what? Like, am I, am I better now to my, my oncologist? And they're like, you, much better than you were. 
was like, look, all right, I'm going to cut to the chase. Can I go to university? Because it was now October 2013. And they were like, well, there's no reason for you to not go to university. We would recommend you maybe taking a year out. But I had already taken a year out. And I was like, no, I'm ready to go to university and have my independence and live my life like a regular young person. So I did. So instead of going to university in Leeds, which was my first choice, and Manchester was my second, I came to university in London. Again, the best decision I ever made, because that sense of freedom and liberation, that sense of confidence to go, actually, no, as a young person, I'm moving down to London, going to move to the capital, and I'm going to study, and I'm going to live my best life. So cancer, straight off the bat, after recovering from it, gave me this sense of liberation that I wanted to just explore my passions find out what I'm interested in and then just do them. So, and, and that's what got me to London. And then as you mentioned, then something happened again, like that sense of, you know, freedom, liberation and, and overcoming it. I got, you know, sidetracked by another diagnosis. It did. So moved down to London, October, 2013, was living my best life. I started university, but found out quite rapidly that university was not for me. I'm not very academic. I'm much more vocational. So I started to do a series of internships and I started working in fashion and PR, as you said, starting to work in the creative industries, meeting some incredible people, people who were still very close to me, people from all different industries, whether that be fashion, whether it be public relations, broadcast, film, TV, technology. I was also working with charities like Macmillan and Cancer Research and Teenage Cancer Trust, Young Lives versus Cancer, meeting other people that had been impacted by cancer at a young age. I started volunteering with the NHS Youth Forum, so working to improve the health system for everybody. It was just really riding high. And that was about four years of my life, actually. And I was convinced that I didn't want to go into the charity sector. I just wanted to support charities because of the incredible work that they do. But I wanted to go into broadcast, wanted to go into the creative industries. And that was the path for me because that was my passion, meeting people, chatting to people, hearing different stories, sharing stories. But then sadly, in the summer 2017, I uh, went in for one of my regular checkups, of which I used to go in every two weeks to have my blood work checked, just to make sure that the maintenance treatment that I was on was working. And for some reason, my body started rejecting the treatment that I was on. And in quick succession meant that the leukemia of which I had had come back. It had always been with me. So technically, it wasn't a relapse. It was just my, my cancer had never gone away. I'd never gone into molecular remission. It was just there lurking in the background as my medication maintained it. But it, it felt like a relapse. It felt that when I was in this world, meeting incredible people, doing incredible things and the glitz and glamour of showbiz and working within the charity sector and healthcare, I felt like I had survived cancer. I referred to myself as a cancer survivor, not a cancer patient, which technically was not true at all. That brought on another sense of loneliness and isolation. But I was just in my own little bubble, in my own little world. And... My consultant basically just said that your medication hasn't worked, your blood work isn't right, we've decided to go down a full curative route, which means that you will have a bone marrow transplant. So there I was, 2017, late 2017, having to face cancer for the second time, and it just, it was so heavy. I, of all the emotions that I was experiencing at the time, confusion, sadness, loneliness and isolation, again, anger and frustration was definitely they were the prominent emotions because I was just furious. Whereas the first time I was upset and confused and lonely and isolated, the second time it was frustration. It was like I put so much time, effort and energy to work on myself, to build myself back up, to work on my confidence, my self-esteem. 
and here cancer was just coming in with a wrecking ball and just having to go through that. Yeah, I was going to say, like, how did you deal with this anger? Because I can't even imagine, you know, after you managed to pick your life back up, it hitting you again. I think my anger manifested itself in denial. This time I denied it. I didn't the first time, but this time I did. I remember leaving my consultation with my oncologist furious, slamming doors, screaming to my boyfriend in the car on the way home, (laughs) like Googling my healthcare rights. Can I reject treatment? Do I have to have treatment? I mean, insanity. I can't believe I did that. But at the time, I was just like, I look physically healthy. I feel physically healthy. I felt the best that I'd ever felt. I was fit. I was going to the gym. I was running around, meeting to meeting, going to see people. I just felt wonderful. And the thought that I had to willingly say yes to a course of treatment, which would ruin me, which would destroy me physically and make me feel horrifically mentally as well. I was, it was, it felt like walking into something that I had to willingly walk into a room, lay in a bed and they put me with chemotherapy. It was such a paradox and that manifested itself in denial. It's like, I, I cannot be that ill. I cannot be that ill for them to treat me like this. Of course, my mother having found out knocked my head against the wall and said, you're insane. Like you are being treated with this. You are accepting the treatment. How like, how dare you? (laughs) And then I came around to it and then ultimately ended up having the treatment. So I was admitted to hospital in January, 2018. And then I was in hospital for two and a half months. And this was the experience that I'd say changed my life for a second time, Carolina, because it wasn't the cancer that changed my life. It was what I decided to do with this experience and what I decided to do with the rest of my life. First of all, I don't even know how it must be so hard to talk about this. So thank you for doing that. And I think, you know, in and of itself, this is important for us to talk about the, this power of vulnerability, because we always chat about the good times, you know, capture these best moments on Instagram. And I think obviously moments like these aren't one of them, but I think we both experience this overwhelming response vulnerability gets when we choose to open up. Have you learned from that, I guess, to live less in this denial stage and actually face up to the, you know, shit that happens in life and and opening up about it? Absolutely. I think it's a case of just really knowing your body. There's a lot of like buzzwords and placations floating around when we talk about mental health, like know your body, know yourself, but it's so important. It's so important to get to know yourself mentally and physically. I think it's... For a long, long time, I at 19, my life changed completely. And from then onwards, it's been one step after the other of change. And even now, like I experienced cancer for the second time and then decided to create a like. And from then onwards, it was incredibly intense. And here I am after three years, created a charity, worked with a team to build an app, I launched it, presented it to Her Majesty. I've got a letter from the Prime Minister saying, well done, like, been in this broadcast, been in this. Uh, it's just, it's such a roller coaster. I have days of extreme highs and days of extreme lows. I, what I'm starting to realize in response to your question, and it's difficult to figure out how I feel about it, which is why I'm going around the houses a little bit. But what I've realized is that I am a user of the platform that we created for people impacted by cancer. Like I am still dealing with my diagnosis, my first diagnosis, and then my my relapse and my treatment. Even now, I'm still dealing with it. So there are days where I have to stay in bed, like I cannot cope physically or mentally. And I put myself under so much pressure to perform, 
to go, no, you agree to do this. I didn't really know what I was getting into when I decided to create a like. I just knew it was needed. And that was the motivation behind it. But I have days where I I can't get out of bed. I am physically and mentally exhausted. And I just, I have to go easy on myself. I have to give myself permission to take it easy. What I find really interesting is I've said this before, and it sounds a bit cliched, it sounds a bit cheesy, but I think it's so, so true. I have been listening a lot to Adele's new song, Go Easy On Me, or Go Easy. And I just love that sentiment of like, she is asking somebody to go easy on her. And I think that is such a sense of permission. That is such a sense of empowerment that she's going, look, I was still a child. I didn't get a chance to feel the world around me. Please just take it easy on me. And that's what I basically want to say to so many people is, yes, on my Instagram, in these stories that are written about me and things that I get to do, even like this, I am living my best life. I'm so passionate about my work, but there are also days where it's an incredible challenge. So please just take it a little bit easy on me. If I don't reply to your email within a couple of days, just please take it easy on me because I'm still battling a lot of demons. So I just, I love that. Like when I listen to that song, it really resonates. It's exactly what I want to ask people to do is take it easy on me, please. And I actually love what you said. And funny enough, like I actually do treat music as a bit of a therapy. So <laughs> yeah, lyrics can totally stick with you. And I think what you said is also going to resonate with so many people because I think our generation is a bit obsessed with achievement and we do have this thing about constantly pushing for the next thing. But you're right, like you, before you know it, you'll be overworked and burned out. So yeah, a hundred percent what you said. In a big way, you know, coming back to what you said, I actually do truly believe that universe kind of aligns itself to lead us to where we need to be in life. So you went through a lot of shit, but I think at the end of it, you really arrived at, you know, what is your true calling? And I guess I'd love to to talk a bit more about that moment that the idea came to you because a lot of times we have it and then we sort of sit on it and we end up not doing anything about it. So first of all, I'd love to understand what was the big vision and really what made you persevere and, you know, do it. It was a, a few things, but the main thing was that raw emotion that I felt when I was in a hospital bed facing two months in hospital, completely isolated in this one room because I was having a bone marrow transplant and loneliness and isolation coming barreling back into my life like a bull in a china shop and I just remember feeling oh I just I can't go through that again and I tried to be quite proactive in finding a community that I could engage with social media is great and helps you connect with people but what do I type into into Instagram like cancer survivors like cancer survivors with leukemia like it'll bring you posts and relevant information but that's not a way to connect with somebody that's not a way to share stories I was Googling, trying to find support groups. I found some online forums, but they were really difficult to use. We're living in a world where user experience and user design is a huge thing. And some of these user experiences on some of these forums just wasn't working for me. It works for other people. I don't want to sound disingenuous. It works for some people. It did not work for me. And I was just thinking, how is there not a platform for peer support for cancer patients and survivors? And I knew this beforehand when working with charities. I knew loneliness and isolation wasn't something that only I experienced. I have yet to meet somebody who was diagnosed with cancer. I have yet to meet somebody who has been impacted by cancer who has said, I don't need peer support. I have met thousands of people across this country and actually all over the world, all ages, different diagnosis, different prognosis, different experiences, different backgrounds. And every single one I have met 
has said, yes, I felt lonely and isolated when I was diagnosed with cancer. So how was there not more of a platform, more of a space dedicated for this experience? And there I was laid in the hospital, really mulling on this thought and thinking, is this what I should do? Is this my calling? Maybe it is. <laughs> Maybe. And what really tipped me over the edge was at the time, Apple were promoting there. There's an app for that campaign. I think they just surpassed a million apps on the App Store. And they kept talking about all of the apps that were available and apps that could help you do whatever you wanted to do, whether it be food delivered in 15 minutes or helping you turn your bedroom lights on. Some apps that have been transformational in our lives, whether it be social media, whether it be helping us get around transportation, apps that helped you do everything. There are some apps which have been really transformational and then other apps that have been really, um, what's the word? Trivial. Yes, trivial. Absolutely. Trivial. Like you, you can take it or leave it. You don't really need them. And yet there was no app that helped cancer patients and survivors connect like searching it in the app store there wasn't anything and that was really the moment when I thought I'm actually gonna make this this is my mission I'm gonna combat loneliness and isolation caused by cancer through technology through an app and I've never looked back <laughs> I've seen the app and I think this is truly a transformational one for for so many people and you're right it's mad that nothing like this existed before in a lot of ways like we our stories are a bit similar we both first-time entrepreneurs we both quit our full-time jobs started a company after a pretty serious trauma do you think you would have taken the step if it wasn't for what happened like I can definitely say for myself I wouldn't have done it I, th I don't think if it wasn't for everything that happened this year I absolutely would not be doing what I'm doing without cancer. Definitely not. I've always been a curious person. I've always questioned things. So I'd like to believe that I'd be doing something fairly unique. And I don't want that to sound at all arrogant. I've never really been very academic. I've always wanted to really work and meet people. And I've always wanted to try as much as I can to step out of my comfort zone. But I absolutely would not be doing what I'm doing with a like without being impacted by cancer personally. I think what makes a like special is that it is driven by lived experience. It's, it's led by people, not just me, but a team of people that have been personally impacted by cancer. And I think that's what makes it work. It wouldn't work if I kind of woke up one day and said, oh, I think loneliness and isolation is a problem within the cancer community. Having not been diagnosed with cancer, I wouldn't have thought that this is a problem. I only know it's a problem because I experienced it. Um, and I think that's why authentic entrepreneurship is leads to really good success because you are living it. To be a good entrepreneur, I think you have to be authentic. You have to really align yourself to what you are trying to promote, what you are trying to sell, what you are trying to create. And I think that's the main driver behind Alike. I would never in a million years wake up one day and say, I'm going to create a platform for people who have been impacted by, let's say, violent crime. Like you need peer support in your entire life. I thankfully have never experienced violent crime, but I'm sure that when you go through it, you need peer support. You need a network, you need a community. And I've spoken to people that have been impacted by it, but I wouldn't say, oh, you need an app because that's like me leading the way quite disingenuously. Like that's me being fake. Authenticity is, is pretty key. And let me tell you, it shows through and through and like every functionality you've built. And I, I think there is something to be said for someone building a solution, having been on the side of the problem as opposed to, you know, a big company trying to tackle a problem they've never faced before. So I think in that it's a powerful strength and, and you are a walking example of that, you know? So I, I think, yeah, I totally agree with you. It's very difficult to see a bigger picture when you're right in the middle, you know, of what's actually happening. 
happening. And when we're up against these huge challenges, I really think it's more, you know, we're thinking survival, not growth. But down the line, I think we all kind of really want to know that this pain wasn't really in vain, I guess. Like we want to have some value purpose. I guess with the perspective that you have today, what would you say to the people going through what you went through right now? (sighs) Cancer is a really difficult one. Every experience of cancer is unique. So it is actually fairly difficult to say, if you're going through cancer, do this, try this, because I'm not going to (laughs) lie. There's been many experiences where I feel that I've made it up as I've gone along. I don't know what I will be feeling like tomorrow. I don't know what I'll be feeling or thinking next week or the month after or next year or two years, five years time. There is some strategy in deep thinking to how I work, but in other ways, it's just reacting. I'm proactive and reactive at the same time. And I think that's what I would recommend is balance, is I am never one thing more than the other. And if I start to be more than one thing over its counterpart, its balance, I try to come back to center. Because I think when you are impacted by cancer personally, directly, you turn into a contradiction. When I was doing my volunteer work, there'd be days that I'd be in parliament (laughs) meeting ministers meeting stakeholders, meeting NHS leaders and talking about lived experience, sharing my story to change the system to work better for other young people, working with fantastic teams of people. I didn't do this on my own. Again, I don't want it to sound disingenuous that I have always worked solo. I haven't. I have always worked with incredible people. And that's why I love this work. I get to work and meet such inspirational people. And I've been doing this work changing the system. And then the next day, I would be waking up at 3pm, <laughs> would be in bed all day, would be emotional. There'd be one day I'd feel powerful. I'd feel, yes, I can do this. The next day, I would be emotional. I can't do this. You are not good enough for this. Your body can't do this and your mind can't do this. Such a sense of denial and imposter syndrome. And it wasn't just days. I'd, in the morning, I'd feel powerful. And then in the afternoon or the evening, I'd feel weak. And it was it's this constant shift of everything. There'd be some days I would feel, you can't say that to me. Somebody would say a really inappropriate, funny joke, let's say, about cancer. One day, I would laugh at it and be like, yeah, I mean, if you can't laugh, you'll cry, right? So let's, let's be a bit silly about it. And there'd be another day that somebody would say that and it would really upset me, offend me and hurt me. And it's it's so difficult to maintain relationships when you're in that state of contradiction. So what I always say to people directly impacted by it is trust the process, be honest with what you are feeling. Whatever you are feeling is completely legitimate. I always second guessed how I felt and thought, no, you're being irrational. If you feel it, if you think it, if you feel it in your soul, you are not being irrational. It's how you feel. So own it, accept it and either move on or just trust the process to people impacted by cancer indirectly, so a loved one, I think is just have open lines of communication, accept that it is very difficult for that person. I think you have to constantly be present. It's it's very difficult. It's very labor intensive. It's very draining emotionally and physically. But I think it's just being there for them and accept that it is a roller coaster. If they say one thing on one day, like, no, 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 it's fine. I don't need any support. Just leave me alone. The next day or an hour in the afternoon, the next day, the next week, they may say something completely different. And it's not them being contrary. It's not them being awkward. It's just they're going through the process. So I think patience. But I think ultimately for both parties, both people directly impacted and people indirectly, both relationships, I think open communication. I guess in terms of like a a lesson, is there a lesson, a biggest lesson that 
cancer really has taught you that has stayed with you there's so many there really is uh, there's so many lessons and i'm still and i'm still learning and we're all learning nobody is an expert or knows everything and everything that's the beauty of gathering knowledge i suppose knowledge is power but that it's that journey of learning i think there is power in your story authenticity so always try and be authentic never try to fake because people can see through it and i think that applies for a lot of people actually when it comes to cancer specifically i think it's own your scars both physical and mental don't put yourself under pressure to perform or to do something because other people are doing it i think that's the main thing and i think is try and always see that other side for example like if i post on social media yay today i found out that this happened or here i am doing this and here i am doing that i think always try and see the other side that with every success there is failure there is heartbreak there is sorrow there's struggle and there's dealing with trauma like whilst i'm really happy with how a like is developing now and through all the successes that we're achieving it's been what 10 years of my life of worth of trauma that i've had to go through to get to where i am and i think that's it we're all going through our own journeys so it's one of those things that we hear a lot of is you don't know what people are dealing with behind the smile or in their personal lives so please just be kind and be patient and be understanding no thank you for sharing that that that's beautiful i guess you know there's one thought that i kind of had as an undercurring thought is that i am conscious of the fact that this conversation might be quite unrelatable to quite a lot of listeners like what we went through in both sides of the story is quite unrelatable I do wonder if there is a way for someone, you know, who's not been through a major life change, but is still feeling quite unhappy to, you know, gain that perspective. I don't know if you had any thoughts on this. It's fair if you don't, but I have to ask. No, I do. I think it's one of these things, you know, when we talk about leaving our mark and like changing the world, I think being an entrepreneur in this day and age is more accessible than it's ever been because we have the tools to do it. And I think that brings with it pressure that people are seeing other people create their own things, start their own missions and fulfill their goals. I think that puts pressure on other people to be like, "Oh, well I haven't done that. Like I haven't found my purpose. What is my purpose?" And that causes a sense of conflict. It's not about the big picture all the time. I think if you can look at your life and reflect and think of what are you doing in your everyday life that changes the world for one person i think that's really special i think changing the world doesn't mean you have to change it for 7 billion people changing the world could be changing somebody's world so if that's smiling to somebody every day if that's taking the pressure off your friend who's going through their own experiences whether that be cancer or any other thing it could just be supporting somebody or a loved one when they're feeling stressed with work with whatever it is i think you can leave your mark on someone and there's that saying in hebrew and also in arabic in a lot of religious texts is you save the world for one person you save the world entire i mean i'm not familiar with the quote exactly but it's that sentiment is if you help one person you save the world right so i think don't feel pressured to find your purpose because other people have i used to feel so frustrated that I started getting involved in volunteering and what I'm doing at age 24. It's like, oh, had I started this at 19, I'd be much further. Like and that that's bizarre. Like that's bonkers. Like, oh, like I've met people who have started to change the world at 
damn, why didn't I do it at 19? Why didn't I do this? And it's just like, isn't that, that's bizarre. That came from insecurity. That came from pressure. That came from other people are doing it. And you will never remedy that. What's happened has happened. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. I think try and just be authentic and changing the world or being entrepreneurial Again, can it doesn't have to be creating a tech company. It doesn't have to be creating a company in general. You can be entrepreneurial and innovative with your feelings and with your relationships. And I think that's what's so important. What you said is so important to so many people. And I think to touch on this, authenticity really comes from experience. And I think we all have our own timing. So a hundred percent, I think for people to realize that and not compare yourself all the time, because we all have a different paths of life and stories is, is so important. So a huge message to everyone out there. So thank you for sharing this. I have a question for you, Carolina, in that we've talked a lot about like my lived experience of cancer, but actually one of the missions of Alike is to provide community and peer support for people impacted by cancer. And by that definition, there are, I think everybody actually... <laughs> has been impacted by cancer in one way or another. And I talk a lot about directly and indirectly. At some stage, we want to create a like for people who are parents of people diagnosed with cancer, for partners of people diagnosed with cancer, and for siblings and and your loved ones around these people, because peer support is universal. We all need peer support at one time or another within our lives, no matter what it is, no matter how trivial, no matter how serious, we all love peer support. We're pack animals. We like connection. So I just wanted to ask for you, because I can only speak on my direct experience of cancer, but I don't know how it felt to be a loved one watching somebody go through it. And I've since asked my parents, I've asked my partner, how was cancer for you watching somebody whom you loved go through it? And how did you find a sense of relief? And how did you deal with that? If you don't mind me asking. And again, I'm conscious that this is a trauma and it's a deeply personal experience you've gone through. So please feel free to skip through it. (laughs) No, I mean, it's an important question to ask. And of course, I mean, I'll be selfish if, you know, I was only asking you about your experience and not sharing mine. So I think for me, it was, of course, traumatic. But I think what you said about being delusional for me was quite true for a lot of it. I think because I was trying to be so strong for that other person, I almost denied myself feeling the things I needed to feel, if that makes sense. It was this constant, you know, being the rock and and really making my life's mission to make sure that that person gets better. I think I physically had to deny the fact that it was even happening for me to be that person, that, you know, beam of hope, that, you know, light during the day so that that person feels, you know, this sense of purpose and, and happiness still. So for me, it really sadly was only when he passed away that I actually experienced what I was going through for the year that it was actually happening. And I'm still dealing with it. It's only been six months. So for me, it's it's an absolute eye-opener in, in so many areas of life. And I think, you know, this is why I wanted to talk about life-changing events because it's exactly what it was for me. It's it's not just losing someone. It's losing the routines of, of life I've had and losing you know, the memories we've created, the person I've become, like that's the person I've been with for most of my 20s. So there's so much that's intertwined within that story for me that it's a major, I don't know, I can't even describe it. It is, it's a, it's a life-changing thing that is going to stay with me forever. And I think 
it's so important to share these experiences because like you said, there's so many people that are impacted by it. And I love that you're providing that platform for not just people dealing with it because it's almost, you know, it's extremely difficult to go through that alone too. It's not like my friends can relate to me. It's not like I can talk to them about it and it becomes, you know, a relief. It's not something that a lot of people identify with. So in a lot of ways, it was truly life-changing, but I love the fact that you, you're doing something about it. And anyway, I can support it. I always will. So a huge thank you to you, you know, for, for actually doing something about it. <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your story. And I think it's really important to note as well that I hear a lot people say exactly what you said is I have to be strong for this person. And because you love them and you support them, I feel that there's a sense of sacrifice, that you sacrifice your needs for that person. But as somebody of lived experience, and again, I can't speak on behalf of people diagnosed with cancer. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I've always said to my loved ones is that I don't want you to sacrifice yourself for me. Uh, that That's not love. Like, I don't want you to do that. Like, and, and I suppose that's what I want to do with the like for people like yourselves is we want to help you help others. Like you definitely need help. Of course you do. People who are supporting and are caring for people diagnosed with cancer. It is lonely. It is isolating. And I can't even begin to imagine how hard that is. And I have such a profound respect and adoration for you for what you went through. And I suppose that's what we want to try and support as well is, yes, there is a community of people diagnosed with cancer that really need help and support and peer support. But there's people like yourselves who go unnoticed a lot and who are giving the love and attention that these people need. No one should ever feel like I need to be strong for this person to the point where I'm going to sacrifice my own self. Absolutely not. There will always be people around to hear your story and to try and help you. I'd love to ask you if there's been an underlying challenge that you faced in the past year and, and how do you dealt with it? One problem I'd say is managing surviving cancer and everything that comes with that. Because even though I'm in full molecular remission, I still am on some treatments. And it's one of those things that once you get told you don't have cancer, that doesn't mean that cancer stops. It stays with you for a long, long time, potentially forever. It's an incredibly paradigm-shifting, life-changing event. So it does stay with you. And so managing that, along with managing the growth of a charity and a app and developing an app, and I know you know how difficult and challenging that is, it's not just blood, sweat, and tears. It's part of your soul. <laughs> it's You have to put so much into these things. As well as that, I'm also recovering from cancer still, both mentally and physically. So it is so, so challenging. So Alike has not just been my biggest passion, the thing that I'm the most proud of, something that has changed my life forever, but it's also been one of my biggest problems, <laughs> weirdly. Um, and I've never said that as well. And I don't want that to sound bad, but it is. I'm like, use, I'm using my lived experience of cancer to create this thing. And it's exhausting. But I live, for, I live for the days when I get to meet people like yourself, when I get to meet people that have been diagnosed with cancer, who then tell me, thank you, your app really helped me. I was able to meet somebody and I get sent emails and picture, messages on the app. And I've seen photographs of people meeting for coffee they met on the app and they're meeting for coffee and going, thanks, Brad, like thanks team alike for building the app because I've met this person face to face for the first time and we really love music and we love writing. We've connected and it's just, that's why we do what we do. So being honest, it's a problem. <laughs> like create, Creating this is has been a challenge, but I'm moving past that. And I think it that speaks to the wider problem of 
the mental health of entrepreneurs and founders. And I think we need to be cognizant of that. Just because you see the successes doesn't mean that the struggle isn't there. 100%. But what you're doing is truly, truly inspirational and, you know, huge respect. To use your own lived experience, it takes a lot of vulnerability and transparency and honesty with, with yourself. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just excited to see this grow and, you know, watch the journey for, as a passenger and really, you know, <laughs> be a cheerleader for what you do because it is, it is awesome. So you should be extremely proud of yourself. Thank you so much for this, Brad. Like, I really appreciate just how candid you've been and how honest you've been in this conversation. Uh, it's not easy. And I'm sure we'll have many more of these in the future. But I just wanted to say right here, thank you for this time today. And I hope that others listening to it have, have taken away something from it that they haven't, you know, thought of before. So, so thank you for sharing your, your story, Brad. Thank you for listening to the Space of Mind podcast. I hope I'm leaving you more inspired than you were before tuning in. If you would like to support Alike to help them enroll more patients at no cost, you can donate as little as £10 or more on the podcast page, thespaceofmind.com. All the donations will go directly to Alike. Thank you.